What's up, everybody? Ron Placone here. Some screening updates. February 16th, Chicago, Illinois. That's coming up soon. There's going to be a screening of my movie, Left at Wall, and then some awesome left-wing punk bands are going to play after. That lineup includes Silver Abuse, Acton's Dictum, and Tractor Boy. They're going to be following the movie, and Left at Wall, my movie, is going to open the night. So you can get tickets for that now. That's February 16th, Chicago, Illinois. Left at Wall is screening in Tucson, Arizona on February 22nd. February 29th, Left at Wall is screening is Omaha, Nebraska. March 20th, Left at Wall is screening in Washington, D.C., and that's a free screening. March 22nd, there's going to be a stand-up show, a screening of Left at Wall, and a Q&A after. That's in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. That means I'll be there. April 14th, we're going to have a screening, a show featuring different cast members, and a Q&A. That's in Los Angeles, California, April 14th. And just announced, another one just announced, June 8th in Idlewild, California. If you're looking for a fun weekend up in the mountains, that's a Saturday night. June 8th in Idlewild, we're going to be doing a short stand-up show, a screening of Left at Wall, and a Q&A uh, with myself and whoever's there from the cast. It's going to be an awesome event. You can get tickets for all those events now at romplacone.com. Episode 21, Mike Figueredo. Mike Figueredo is the creator of the popular YouTube show and podcast, The Humanist Report. We've known each other for years. We dwell in a similar indie online media space, and we've always gotten along pretty well. We have some big things in common. We're both big on digital rights, both former academics, and we're around the same age. As the years went by, personalities would clash, and at various times, Mike and I were kind of in the middle, so to speak, of various online feuds. We always stayed cool with each other, but we never really addressed any of this, at least not on air, until now. Please welcome to the show, Mike Figueredo. You know, it's funny, I don't know if you ever do this, but when times are ever kind of tough or you're ever going through a rough patch, do you look at PhD programs? I don't look at the programs, but I think like to myself, would I be able to go back if I wanted to because mm-hmm. I, I never like dropped out I just went on, went on a sabbatical and never went back in but I left on really good terms I had so they're expecting fun. you any day now it's like so when this YouTube <laughs> stuff goes tits up he's coming back <laughs> although now you know after they've seen all of my my political views who knows what they think um, mm-hmm. but yeah yeah uh, you know I th- I've thought about it but I, I don't think that that's the path for me uh, as cool as it would be to revisit it I think that you know I just I I wouldn't be happy doing it. And I wasn't really happy. Like, I didn't really enjoy the program that I was in. I was just doing it because I kind of felt like, look, I, I did, you know, I, I put in all this time. Why not just see it through? Um, you know, and there's a little bit of FOMO because I see all of the classmates that I went in with. They're now doing their dissertation presentations um, or defenses, I should say. You know, they're, they're submitting it. And it's like, man, I would be right there right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd be done about now or getting close to being done. But it's like, you know what? I can't complain because, you know, I'm happy. Um, I feel like I've, I haven't made like the wrong decision. You just you don't really ever know if like you're on the right path. Right. You kind of just go with the flow and see where it takes you. And if you're OK right now, then that's really if you're happy, I think that's all that matters. Right. So that's kind of where I'm at. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not content, but I'm okay. And I'm not gonna, you know, could be worse. 
No, man. I mean, I I think you're spot on. I, I no, it's just one of those things. Like, whenever I'm down about myself and questioning things and, and feeling like ah, I want to get out of show business, I'm so tired of all the BS. I do. One of the things I'll do is look at PhD programs, PhD programs in like small lake houses in Michigan, and I'm like, mm-hmm. let me let me look into these things. I'm never actually going to do because I'll take <laughs> a step back and realize this isn't for me. But I'm going to look yeah. at it anyway because because I'm I'm upset. But. It's nice to, like, in our heads, go down a different path for a little bit and fantasize about, like, maybe what could be if we did something different. But then at the end of the day, that's, like, such a long road. And a lot of it is – it's easier to think about. It's easier said than done. But it's just like, man, right now I need to make some changes. I don't know what that change needs to be in particular. I'm just a little bit uneasy. But, you know, it could always it could always be worse. That's one thing I keep telling myself, especially, like, with America and the way that things are. Like, you know, things are bad right now, but certainly they could absolutely be worse. Uh, So I'm going to try to not take what I have for granted and take, you know, the situation I'm in for granted. I don't want to do that. You know, just enjoy everything. And it's not like, you know, I I don't want to make it seem as if, you know, I'm I'm really unhappy and complaining. Like I get to do YouTube for a living. That's like if you pull kids nowadays, that's like their number one job aspiration, which is really, Mm -hmm. really cool. Like my nephew thinks it's so cool. That I have like uh, a YouTube channel and it's, you know, I have like the play button and stuff. He's like, oh, that's that's the coolest thing ever. Um, you know, to them, so, it's, it's the same as following a, a cable show or something like they don't see right. the difference. Yeah, exactly. It, exactly. And it hasn't clicked for me yet because it still doesn't feel like this. Like it feels like a transition period. Right. Like it feels like, no, this is supposed to be like until I get my 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 regular job doing whatever that is. Like, I don't. I don't know. Like, what can you do in 2024 with a fucking political science degree? You know what I mean? Besides teach. And, you know, it's it's usually a jumping off point. You usually go to law school with this. Right. And I didn't I like I wanted to go to law school. But then again, I didn't. I kind of just wanted to teach. That was always my what I wanted to do. And it's like if you don't teach then you can't do anything with it. And, um, you know, you're not going to make a lot of money teaching nowadays. So. You know, it's not all about money. It's about being happy. But, you know, I'm I'm, I'm OK. I, I don't yeah, want to make it seem like I'm, got I'm a negative today. Nancy. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, I feel you, man. I, I, I totally feel you. I, I I feel like there's always that sort of little bit of imposter <laughs> sing- syndrome lingering with most people. Like, I, mm-hmm. I still feel like any day now I'm like, oh, when is this com this comedy thing's going to be over and I'm going to have to, like, grow up or whatever. And then I'm like, well, it's been going since 2012. I did. I'm going to give it another month, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, like, like uh, uh, things usually work out. We'll see what happens this time around. Right. So. And, and for you, you have so much talent to Aww. where it's, it's only a matter of time. Like there's this thought in my head that it's like, I wonder have I peaked, you know, and am I okay with that at my age? I don't think you've peaked at all. Not well, even close. That's kind of you to say, I don't think you have either. I mean, I, so. oh, well, thank you. Thank so I, I guess we're both still, you know, okay. I mean, we're, we're both in that weird spot where we're not by definition young, but we're not by definition old. Right. Because I know we're around the same age. I think I'm a little bit older than you, but we're we're in the ballpark of each other. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're in that we're in that kind of pocket where it's like, well, you're not you, you can sort of start thinking about the second half, but you're not old. So yeah. so you better start doing what you really want to do if you're not mm-hmm. um, and, and really like accelerate it into gear if you are. But uh, 
but you still got plenty of time to either, yeah. you know, to blow it all or or really see it through to its full potential. <laughs> yeah, no, that's <laughs> true. You know what it is? Like, I, I think, like, maybe not midlife crisis, but it's like midlife reevaluation, right? Where you get there sure. and you're, ha- you're at the halfway point and it's like, am I am I okay with everything? Did I do everything right? Of course I didn't. There's so much that I did wrong. What can I change going forward? Do I want to change things going forward? Am I happy where I'm at? I think this is just, I think we just go through this, right? Like it's just, it's gotta be part of life, especially when you're at our age, you know, Um, when you're, when you're officially middle-aged, I guess. I I mean, I don't know. I don't want to admit that, but I guess it's kind of true, right? Uh, We're, we're on like the very low end of it. We're, We're like just approaching middle age. Okay. So it's, I mean, you know, if people want to get real particular with their definitions, they can. But, but I, I kind of just think of it as like, I might be technically in the second half because I, I don't know like exactly mm. how long I got on this planet. None of us right. do. But, right. you know, so, so I'm thinking second half, but, but I might still be playing the first, you know? You I hope know. I am. I hope I am. Yeah. I, I, I hope I still got a, some years left in the first half. We'll see though. Um, yeah. But, uh, so what made you pick the name? Humanist report. Oh God, it's the worst name ever. It was honestly a placeholder name, and okay. I was just kind of toying with the idea of of doing a YouTube show and starting a podcast. And I'm like, I kind of went back and forth, uh, and I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. And then it's like, well, I should probably come up with a real name. And I just, I don't have any creativity, so I'm like, we'll just go with this. You know, it was. I- it was <laughs> I think it's a cool name. I mean, I, I just think it's sort of interesting to me and, and I'm part of this too. Like there was this period of time where sort of being a non-theist w- was sort of a big flag in the sand. Like that was, right. sort of, you know, cause, and, and you saw humanist report, secular mm-hmm. talk, you know, I mean, my first album was called agnostic holiday. <laughs> and then like by like, definitely by 2020 it just wasn't that big of a deal anymore right like all of a sudden that was just like people were just kind of like yeah okay that's fine i think that's a great point right because like back in 2015 uh, when i was playing with the idea you know and humanism still does influence me to a very large extent i'm still very anti-theistic and whatnot but like back then that was like really at the core of my political beliefs whereas now it's something different like i i think that if if i had to define myself in like one word to be overly reductive it'd be like socialist like my core is Mm -hmm. thinking that workers should own the means of production but then again it's also more complicated than that i think that humanist report still fits because you know i think to be a humanist means you care about worker rights but also other things as well um you know it's not necessarily overly anthropocentric but you know you can care about animal rights everything so like it fits i think it's just boring right like there's no there's no flavor to it but you know it's it's too late to change it. We've been doing this for like nine years now. So if I were to change it, then it's like, well, that's who's this new person? Like, you know, I'm, I'm people don't even know my first name. They just know me as the humanist report, right? It's just that that's the humanist report guy. So to change it now would be, I think absurd. So we're, we went with it and we're, we're rolling with that until the wheels come off. At least. <laughs> there you go, man. No, it's a pillar. What are you going to do? It's good. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you mentioned all the all the all the pillars politically we have in common. And one thing in particular we have in common is we're both uh, very into digital rights, net neutrality, mm-hmm. stuff like that. I, I've been active on some of those campaigns over the years, and you've always been a huge help with everything, which I, I've always appreciated. Um, 
but I've never asked you, you know, because because we both cover it a lot and it, it, God knows it's not the best thing in the world for clicks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so people who cover it, they do it because they care about it and they love the it. Labor of love. It's, important. it's a labor of love. Yeah. But so what um, what made you really particular to that? Um, so it, it started before the humanist report in the Obama era. Um, so Tom Wheeler was the FCC then, and he was a Comcast lobbyist, I believe. He came from the industry, like a Ajit Pai. Mm-hmm. And I remember being so outraged when he proposed new rules, and he called them fast lanes. It was a way to kind of placate net neutrality activists, because it's not like dismantling net neutrality. It's just like, you know, there's fast lanes, right? Um, and I was really outraged by that. It was like one of the main things that um, had kind of radicalized me um against like democrats and it's like why would obama appoint this person i was still like fairly naive back then um and to see like you know activists protesting and him smirking you know i was following it very closely and i was just so interested in it because you know to me the internet was something that was like it really i think helped me develop as a person it helped me discover myself when it comes to my sexuality Um, my belief system, my political beliefs. So I think that like, if you start to impose restrictions on the internet, that fundamentally changes the potential limits, what's possible. And so I was really against it. Um, And um, yeah, from there after winning, it felt like a really big victory. And then, you know, once Ajit Pai came in from the very get go, I knew that this was going to be a problem and he was going to repeal it. But I, I thought that, you know, you, you can kind of override him. We did it once with Tom Wheeler, right? I remember Margaret Flowers and her late husband were like sitting in front of his car, not letting him leave Tom Wheeler, you know? Um, And that was so awesome to me. Um, So, you know, it just, it, it was really important for a while before that I followed other bills like, you know, um, or maybe not before that, but around the time, like SOPA, just, I always thought that the internet was like, it was our one way of expressing ourselves. It's like the one Avenue that we are truly free Um, And sure, there's some problems with it. But for the most part, like changing the model to a non net neutrality model would be catastrophic. So it's just one of those things that I think people don't really see the importance as much as they need to. And they kind of take it for granted. And the Internet, to me, is one of those instances where, you know, you wouldn't know what you've got until it's gone. So like having net neutrality be gone and having no states with net neutrality, I think we would really see the worst case scenario where the internet is broken up into packages. So it's just always been really important to me and one of like my top issues um, for a really long time now. Yeah, I, I mean, and and you really see when you see other bills like like, like COSA, the Kids Online Safety Act, that in reality yeah. is is just a guise to to make it more difficult for LGBTQ youth to to access resources. And, you know, as someone who's been active in some of those campaigns, as you've been as well, I mean, I've gotten messages from, you know, transgender kids who are just scared. Yeah. Like, like, like they're scared of this stuff. They know, they read between the lines, they get it. And they're genuinely concerned, which in some ways... Mm -hmm is also very inspiring that that the young people are so on top of this stuff and they're so i mean they're doing stuff on tiktok that's freaking incredible yeah um but also it's it's like you really you know you put this stuff together and you realize how important it is absolutely yeah yeah and coast is such a good example of that right where on paper it sounds really good 
But then when you read between the lines and you think about the implications, um, it's it's horrifying. Like LGBTQ kids is like that's the perfect example, because I remember when I was like 17, you know, I was using the Internet to like try to discover myself and search like, you know, um, what does it mean to be gay? Am I gay? And, you know, even as like a young man, like when I was like 22, I remember on forums, you know, um, seeking advice from like other gay people. I didn't know anyone. So that was like the only way that I could talk to other gay people and get advice and whatnot, you know, what's appropriate, what's common, like, you know, give me some of the culture, like what, you know, so um, it's, it's really important for communities. And so if you take that away from people or, or, you know, uh, give states the ability to uh, shut that off from kids, I think it's really damaging. I mean, if parents want to restrict internet access, they can, they can do that. We don't need the state to get involved. So this is really one of those instances where like, I, like I'm not, in the camp of small government, big government. But this is one of those instances where it's like, I'm in the camp of small government specifically, like leave it alone. Yeah. Well, and that's the other frightening thing too. Like, like you said, when they put it on paper, it it seems good and reasonable. We want to keep kids safe online. We want to keep predators away. Well, of course, everybody wants that. That's a good thing. And it's like, well, who's enacting these policies though? Oh, a bunch of dogmatic lunatics in Texas. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's not good. (laughs) not good not good so i want to talk to you some about just the youtube space i don't know what you would call it the indie media space like like however you would frame it when i look at it as a whole and i include everybody in this myself included i if i had to describe it in one phrase i would say missed opportunity because Mm -hmm. I, i feel like you know Again, I'm old enough to see this whole space go from some obscure thing to a force to be reckoned with in our media system. Mm-hmm. And I feel like largely that new power has just been used to, you know, try to drum up clicks, you know, talk about beefs or, or shift to the right in, in some cases, yeah. depending on the personalities. And, and again, I'm not saying that's everybody. Of course it's not. And of course there are plenty of diamonds in the rough, but I feel like systemically and largely as a whole, I, I, I feel like missed opportunity comes to mind. And I, mm-hmm. and I really hope that in particularly the next generation and as even people in our class start to really take the captain's chair, we set a better example. I, I, what, yeah. What's your take on that? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, I think that, you know, part of the problem on my part, at least, is that I was really naive about independent media. You know, when you see corporate media, the alternative of indie media sounds really, really great. But much like corporate media, I think that there's a lot of perverse incentives in indie media, too. You know, there's clickbait. There is... um drama baiting. I think that these are things that a lot of people feel like they have to do in order to grow their channels and grow their brands. Um, And to an extent, yeah, that's true. Um, But you don't have to do it that way. You can just, you know, you can plug away at it. You could do really good content. Do uh, like there's these video essayists that put together these massive documentaries that are phenomenal, but it's, it's difficult. And, you know, a lot of people just want to, you know, they want to make it quick. So that incentivizes you to be very clickbaity, uh, to become a content farm where you're just putting out as much content as possible. Maybe it's not necessarily like drama baiting or divisive, 
but it's just low quality content and you're just trying to rack up as much views as possible. So there's a lot of, I think, really bad incentives here. And I think that, you know, as people who've been doing this for a while, yeah, it is important that we set the example. Um, It's hard though, because like, in order to set an example and to give younger or the next generation advice, like you really got to have a blueprint. And the problem is that there's really no blueprint, right? Like, I feel like I've been doing this for nine years and I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. You know, it's like, there's no like magic bullet. And I think that that's the thing that's frustrating. And so what people tend to do is, you know, they'll just, they'll start off, you know, bless their hearts, you know, wide eyed. They'll do what they want to do. They'll be completely artistic, completely creative, and then they'll realize that, you know, your best work isn't always what's going to do the best in terms of like views and clicks. So they start to cater to the audience that gets them views and clicks. And then they kind of go down a different trajectory. And it's hard to it's hard to warn people about these things because, you know, even older people who've been doing this are susceptible to it, right? People who have been in the game for a really long time. Um, but it's difficult because there, there's no right or wrong answer to a lot of this, right? So like trying to teach people to build audiences in a positive way and try to curate their content to appeal to specific people and kind of exclude groups that they don't want because your audience can really influence you quite a bit. It's difficult. So, yeah, getting back to your question, I I do, I think that missed opportunity, I I tend to agree with that. But at the same time, you know, as time has gone on, I have kind of been humbled a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, at first when I got into this, I'm like, this is the, we are all the future. When it's like, you know, when you step back, actually, we're kind of, we're not farts in the wind, but like, you know, we're, we're, we're not as significant, you know, as we think we are. Like, I think that for me, just personally speaking, I got a little bit arrogant because, you know, when I started this, you know, I was going hard for Bernie and he almost won, not once, but twice. And so you kind of begin to feel like, man, this is us. We're doing this. But in actuality, we don't have that big of an impact. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we have we have an impact. That's not to minimize, like, the importance of our channels. But, like, it's not as big as we thought. And we're not able to shift the Overton window as drastically as we would like. And a lot of it is confirmation bias, right? Like, I think we can change people's hearts and minds, and that does happen. But a lot of the people who are seeking out our content or who find our content, they're seeking it out. And so it's not just on the left. I think it's on the right, too. So trying to realize my role and, like, the impact that I can have and what I can do, that's been something I've been working on. Like, what... You know, if I can't actually make an impact, um, then what is what is my goal? Like, what what is the point of all of this? You know, is it just to be an entertainer and, you know, educate people in an entertaining way? Like, what do I want to do? And I don't know, but I've kind of just been trying to do what makes me happy. Like, um, you know, before I used to really feel like, okay, if I'm going to be a news guy, uh, you know, I've got to cover everything. That is really important. And I don't do that anymore. I just kind of think, Mm -hmm. look, this story right here, I want to talk about that because there's more than I can add. You know, um, I'm not a journalist. I'm a commentator. And so if I can't supplement this news story with really good commentary, I'm not going to waste people's time and I'm not going to waste my time. Like, I have to be happy talking about it. And sometimes I'll talk about dumb shit, but it's what I want to talk about. Like, it's, you know, if, if somebody like Dave Rubin or whatever, like if they say something stupid, Maybe it makes me happy to talk about that, but it's just trying to like 
be happy doing what I'm doing because like, you know, whether or not you're successful, I think with time it's, you know, it's luck, right? You might put out a video and you think, man, this one's going to do really well. And it, it doesn't, but you put out a video that you think is boring and nobody's going to listen to. It's way too like tech savvy and wonky. And it does really well. Like I, I, my views have been lowered this week, but I put out a video on trans rights and one particular bill. And I spend like five minutes in the video, just going through the specifics and the language and jurisdictions and the complexity. I'm like, it, no, but oh my God, I'm going to lose people like halfway through the video. And so far it's the best one this week compared to videos really? about the election. And so it's like, you, you just, you never know. Right. Cause it's like, okay, I'm trying my best to make this really entertaining. It's a very depressing topic. On top of that, it's very technical and I'm trying to do my best to like, just get people to wrap their heads around something that's really complex so they can get the context on the attacks. And it's like, how do you do this in an entertaining way? And you can't, but it still did well. So there, you don't know what the fuck, you don't know what we're doing. You know what I mean? Sure. It's just some, some things work, some things don't. You just got to try it all. No, I, I think those are excellent points. And and yeah, I, I you know, again, I mean, all the stuff you've described, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of doing that at times. You're guilty of, I mean, you know, like, like by no means am I wagging the finger at any one totally. entity. And, and, and I don't mean like, I, I think that is a, a really, really good point. To, it's like, well, but put it in perspective as well. Like, that's an excellent point. Mm-hmm. I, I, I guess it's like I, I do have a bit of, man, I wish we could do better as far as like we have this landscape now. Let's really fill in the gaps that corporate media is failing at. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I, I mean, and, and that's, you know, that that, that that's going to it's going to take a village, you know, right. Like it, it really is. So, uh, but yeah, but th- those are, those are excellent points. So I wanted to bring this up, man. Um, I, uh, I, I heard the shout out that you gave me on, uh, on the, uh, collaborative show you do mm. the, uh, the leftist mafia show. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what it's called. Right. Did I? Yes. Mess up the, okay. All right. I want to make sure I got the title, right? Uh, I heard the shout out you gave me on that, which I appreciated. Um, but I wanted to talk about this. You said that we've always been cool. And then you said, you know, there, there was a little bit of a, of a kind of, I don't know if you said rough patch or how you described it, but, but like a little bit of an awkwardness, mm-hmm. um, you know, at times when I was still with the Jimmy Dore show, mm-hmm. um, but we're cool. Like you said that in, in reference to me, mm-hmm. uh, and I appreciate the shout out very much. And I also wanted to say, and, and, and please take this as a good thing, because that's how it's intended. And it's also the truth. If there was ever any awkwardness, it was only on your end. It was not on mine. Okay. Um, because I always, you know, you always saw me as my own person. Mm-hmm. And not everybody, tr- I mean, I was guilt by association to some people. Yeah. And, and I get that. I mean, that, that kind of just comes with the territory in this space. Um, but you were never like that with me. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that always meant a lot to me. Yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that. I, you know, for me, I am a person who I kind of feel like as time goes on, I get worse at maintaining relationships. And so just checking in with people, like if it's been too long, I feel like it, it's a bit of an awkward, you know, and it's going to be like, hey, man, who's going to reach out first? You know what I mean? So it part of it was was maybe that as well. And another part of it was like, there was this, there was kind of like this period where 
we were cool. And then I started kind of really taking shots at Jimmy Dore and he was taking shots at me. And then, you know, you were kind of in the middle where at the time it was your boss, you couldn't respond, but I, you know, I have no animosity whatsoever towards you and never did. So it's just kind of like, are we, are we cool? Cause I'm cool with you. You know, it's just like, who's going to, who's going to text first? Like, Hey man, uh, I don't, I don't mean, and for those who are listening, we did text each other and stuff we like did. that. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, it's just, there was that period of like, oh man, I hope that this doesn't like, I hope that this doesn't spoil anything uh, between you and I, me going after him. And the same was kind of true with you with TYT when you would go after TYT. And, and then I was still with TYT network and I was kind of in the middle. It's there's these like overlapping relationships that kind of like put us in these precarious positions when in actuality like we we can disaggregate that like we are our own people um and i think it's important that like you know um we we are honest like i i I couldn't like imagine withholding fire because like oh well if i say this i don't want to ruffle any feathers like you've got to be honest that's kind of my thing but like honesty does have consequences and so it's like man i hope i don't burn this bridge with you as I go after, you know, Jimmy Dore. Um, so yeah, that was kind of what it was about. Um, I never, ever for once thought that like, man, everything that Jimmy is saying, Ron, Ron believes that because you've always been, you know, I've always like, to me, you were always like the, the reason why the show was great. You know, uh, why I like this show. You were the, you were the comedy man. You were the, you, the comedy man. So it's like, you know, it, yeah, it was just, it was a little awkward, but I'm glad that, like, we worked through that. And we're both very chill people, so, like, I never necessarily thought that, like, oh, we'd be on bad terms because of this beef and shit-talking between me and Jimmy. But, like, um, you know, just, there's that in-between period, right, when we haven't touched bases, and it's, we need to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I hear you, man. And um, I actually didn't know you were still with tyt whenever i was taking issue with some of the stuff they were doing are you still with them no i left okay last year um but yeah okay. um yeah yeah i last mean we, year we, in like april or may it was whenever i had the um our big the trans battle and um they said I mean, things that i didn't like so i'm you know there's beef everywhere <laughs> no no i i hear you and and but you know with that i mean and we don't have to get into like super YouTube insulary talk here, but like mm-hmm. some of the stuff they've been saying around transgender issues, around homeless, around mm-hmm. police. I mean, explain to me how it's different from Fox News. Mm-hmm. Some of the stuff was- they say around those issues. I, I mean, it, it's like you listen to that. And, and then what I took really, really hard was when Jank Uger endorsed Rick Caruso for mayor here oh, in yeah. Los Angeles. That was really I hard just thought uh, like that was so just and his explanation w- was just so it's like okay either you have a profoundly ignorant understanding of local politics which I I don't believe I I think Jank's he's a he's a sharp guy. Mm-hmm. Or you you genuinely feel this way which that's pretty effed up and you know I have people in my life who I consider friends who supported that guy. But, you know, the difference is they don't go around saying they're the home for progressives mm-hmm. <laughs> and then endorse the billionaire developer who is, who is who embodies everything that's wrong with why Los Angeles is where it is as a city. And mm-hmm. so I took that 
I, I just really took that one hard and yeah. could not be quiet. Yeah, I took that hard too. And I was still at the network when I was like, bro, like I, you know, you influenced my politics so much, man, with money in politics being a big issue, Wolfpack. So to endorse, you know, this billionaire, it really bothered me. And I think that that's a great point because like when you are a smaller channel and you're connected to like a larger network or a larger channel in some way, um, the stink kind of rubs off on you, right? Like there's this, there's this idea that um, you agree with everything they say, or maybe you're not willing to criticize them. And that was never the case with me. Like I've always, you know, I've had criticisms, you know, of TYT and I vocalized it. I was never like silenced because I was a network partner. Like it's just a, a lot of people, they kind of assumed that I couldn't uh, criticize Jenk because he was my boss. When in actuality, that's not like, that's not how it works. Like they were my network partners. And so like I would pay them a percentage of my ad revenue each month to kind of like be my representative. That whole model of MCNs is really antiquated now. So people don't even need MCNs, in my opinion, to be YouTubers mm-hmm. um, and to get protection. But like, you know, just because I was I was affiliated with them, um, there was this idea that like, uh oh, you know, um, Mike must agree or he's going to be, you know, he's not going to be able to vocalize his disagreements when no, you know, I was. I was um I was always free to say what I wanted to say. And, you know, the same is true for you, uh, you know, with Jimmy Dore. I know that you you never co-signed everything. Not that, you know, Jenk and Jimmy are equal. Like, I still find Jimmy much more nefarious. And I don't think he believes a lot of the things that he said. But still, like, I don't think that, you know, the things that he said, you would ever co-sign off of. Just because you've always, like, you you have your own political views. You've always much been much more principled. But, you know, I, I hate that there's this assumption that, you know, you do co-sign everything. Um, it is a guilt by association thing for better or worse, you know, and we both kind of been a part of that, but um, you know, you just, you do what you can to kind of like set your own standards and explain where you stand. And some people are going to accept that. And some people aren't, you know, it's, it's so weird, you know, till this day, there are people who will call me a shit lib neoliberal DNC shill, and then there are people who will call me like this commie sellout uh, or not sellout, a commie like uh, extremist, you know. And so uh, you can't really you got to tune out the noise, right, because you are your own person. You're not what people define you as. And I think that over time, if you watch my videos, you know, what I say is pretty clear. You could see where I stand. And honestly, like with how much you and I talk about politics online, like you could see an issue that we haven't spoken about and almost guess where we're going to land pretty accurately, just because, you know, when you have this core set of principles and beliefs and you follow these guidelines based on like morality and, you know, um, philosophies, uh, you're going to land in the same spot pretty much. Right. So, um, you know, that's, that's what I try to do when you're on the internet, there's going to be, there's going to be drama. There's going to be people who don't like what you're doing. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Like sometimes I'll think, man, politics is so toxic. I wish I did like, some like if I was going to do YouTube, I should have picked something fun like video games when it's like mm, the video game YouTubers I watch get a lot of death threats for their game reviews, you know, <laughs> so it's like it's just part of the game. <laughs> I mean, dude, some of my friends are are in sports and they're like, dude, you should see how some people react to like sports commentary. It's crazy. <laughs> it's like nuts, man. Yeah. Uh, and, and Hey, man, I love a good hockey game, but I'm not I'm not that. You know, I'm I'm not that enshrined. It's just uh it's just a nice break, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, here's here's a fun one. I would get um that and this is especially from, you know, 
quitting the Jimmy Dore show, mm-hmm. I would get um, you're a loser and you're, mm-hmm. you know, you, your career's over and you suck and this and that. Mm-hmm. And then I would also get you're a sellout. And I'm like, well, wait a second. How can it be both? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like from the same people. I'm like, wait a second. I thought I was a loser and I'm a broke loser. This, How am I also a sellout? <laughs> it's like, and then uh, it's like, I do stuff with status quo now. So uh-huh. it's like, wait, I sold out to a smaller channel. How is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you understand the meaning of that word. How does one sell out to a smaller thing? Yeah, it's just one of those situations where, you know, it, I think a, a lot of it is click based where the, some of these personalities are they become so big that people kind of feel like they're part of like that click. Right. And I think yes. that Jimmy Dore, he has that type of personality where it's like, no, I'm part of the club. Uh, you know, I, I'm with him. So if you're not with him, you're against him. I think that's what it was. And even like um, when you were still part of Jimmy Dore, I remember it was in 2019 or something like that. Uh, Jimmy had come back to Portland and you mm-hmm. couldn't come and I couldn't make it. Uh, I explained to Jimmy Dore, like, I cannot, I'm having really bad panic attacks. I'm not going to go in front of an audience. He was actually really understanding to his credit. Um, and I was being honest, like he had pissed me off at that time about the Carlos Maza thing, but like, it was a genuine, like I was being honest, you know? Um, and I remember like, there were, a, there was a tweet from someone that was like, Graham Elwood is here, but why is it Mike and Ron, huh? And it was like, I forgot the emoji that they used, but it was like, the implication was that like, we were sellouts or- We were not. Where it's like, okay, come on. Like, we're still, we're technically in the club, but we (laughs) we did at the time, but we didn't show up. So like, there's this like weird, like, oh, oh, there's a scandal in this. Which speaking of Graham Elwood, I I have so much sympathy for him. Yeah, right. It was you yeah, had a legitimate like there was, reason. There was a reason why I couldn't be there. I would have been there otherwise. Like there was a, there yeah. was a legit reason why I couldn't make it. Mm-hmm. And then I think originally Graham wasn't able to make it either. And then something changed and he was. So that was the only reason he was mm-hmm. there and you and I weren't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well, there's all, I mean, dude, there's, uh, there's people who think I have some kind of secret contract with ABC. Uh, there's people who genuinely believe Jimmy's my dad. There's, I, I, dude, there's That's some crazy. One, I've got to say it is pretty funny, but but there's like some funny shit out there. I, I mean, there's, a, I mean, you gotta laugh about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it, it also is a little freaking wacky because I mean, dude, yeah. And I'm not gonna try to make it out like it's all. A or B. I'm not going to like yeah. when I quit that show, I got a lot of really cool emails from mm-hmm. people who were like, we're going to miss you. It's not the same without you. And and honestly, some emails from people who were like, I never liked you and I'm glad you're gone. And, you know, I mean, there's a healthy relationship with a podcast is I like this guy. I'm sad to see him go or I didn't like mm-hmm. this guy and I'm glad he's gone. Good riddance. That's mm-hmm. perfectly normal. That's a normal response. What was quite a response with some of the other stuff i got of uh i i don't live too far from san pedro i i got some of that i i got like uh you know like 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 up to death threats i got um i got like you're a traitor you need to repent beg for forgiveness and it wasn't like they were serious like it wasn't i, I mean if someone did it in jest that that'd be different 
But uh, one person did something sort of like that in jest where they emailed me and I actually emailed them back and, and they emailed me and they were basically like, hey, I, I, I basically I miss you on the show. It, it's not as funny as it used to be now that you're gone or whatever. And they said something like, can you please apologize or something like that? And I emailed them back and I said, you know, I'm, I'm sorry you feel that way. Um, and I appreciate your kind words about me. Uh, I'm not going to apologize because disagreeing with somebody and not wanting to work with them anymore is not an offense that requires an apology. <laughs> you know, it, it's a podcast, not a cult. And <laughs> and I said, you know, the cool thing about podcasts is if you don't enjoy one, there's millions of others you can check out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I could tell they were kind of so then they they emailed me back. <laughs> Their email actually fucking made me laugh. They were just like, they're like, you're an entertainer. I am the masses. I deserve to be entertained. Oh I don't God. care if it means you're miserable for the rest of your life. And, and then they had, no, wow. they had emojis. Like it was a joke. And, okay, uh, okay. You know, they were kidding. And, and it did, you know, it, it did make me laugh. But, That's uh, funny. It, it's crazy it, that there was this big fallout because, like, I don't even, like, was there even, like, an announcement that you were leaving? Like, for me, at that time, I had checked out. I was not watching. So I just noticed, like, I would check in from time to time just to see what, you know, Jimmy was up to and I would never see you. And I'm like, oh, God, mm-hmm. things. And I, I thought that that was just like you couldn't make it or something or you were on tour because it's like, OK, this is bad because I always saw no, you. No, as no, the no one was on tour then, my friend. <laughs> Nobody. Was oh, on that's tour true. Then. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I don't know what I was thinking, but I, I just it never clicked that you had left. And so I'm like, oh, God, this is going to get really bad quickly because I always saw you like you. You were the intellect and the comedy and you had you were the guardrails. So like once the guardrails are off, man, <laughs> where does it go? So I was like, oh, God, oh, God. Um, but yeah, well, I had I, no idea. I appreciate the compliment. I, I mean, look, it, it was one of those things and, and it wasn't, you know, I separate the personal from the political and the professional like mm-hmm. i've always done that and and some people don't do that and i i get it you know i do mm-hmm. and and i don't think i don't think i'm right or wrong i don't think anyone else is right or wrong i think it's just people are different you know and mm-hmm. and, and and that's how i am and and that's just you know how i've always been mm-hmm. so for me like like it wasn't personal i i didn't want to you know not be friends mm-hmm. but um but i i couldn't in good conscience continue working there and yeah. you know like like jimmy and i had a long conversation about it and and you know i i said you know i'm i'm gonna go and and he was and he didn't object or anything like mm-hmm. that i mean he understood and and he said cool and and you know we we both said that we had a good run etc cetera, etc cetera. um you know and, and i try to have you know like in the time that's passed i've made the decision to just tell the truth, mm-hmm. which, you know, I mean, one of my favorite bands is the hold steady. They have a line of one of their songs. You can't tell people what they want to hear. If you also want to tell the truth. And, mm-hmm. uh, I really feel that. I mean, because yeah. it, it's one of those things for the people who, you know, sincerely hate Jimmy door. I'm not enough for them because I'm not going to sit there and say, Oh, all the times were bad because that's not the truth. Mm-hmm. like i've had some amazing times there i've had some amazing experiences that i'll remember for the rest of my life mm-hmm. uh you know jimmy always let me have input he always you know was listening to what i had to say um 
it was like that for a really long time. It, it did kind of change, but mm. but it was like that for a really long time. And I'm I'm not mm. gonna be dishonest and pretend that that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. You know, just because maybe people want to hear something different. Um, on the same note, you know, the people who just, you know, like he is their philosopher king well (laughs) i am not in agreement with their philosopher king so Mm -hmm. so it's sort of like (laughs) i'm just yeah like i can't really and and and, you know so it's just one of those things i kind of just wanted to move on with my life yeah and and i have and and Mm -hmm. i wanted to just sort of not be in the space at all Mm -hmm. um and, and that's part of the reason why i started this new show but, uh, you know, when Jordan asked me to be part of Status Quo, if it was almost anyone else, I probably would have said no. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have said yes to, like, you, actually. I mean, like, you mm-hmm. and Jordan may have been the only two I would have said I'm yes honored. to. <laughs> <laughs> and Jordan, and, and, and it's not because I agree with uh, Jordan Cheriton 100% on every single strategy. We don't actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I kind of like about Status Quo. We're all a little bit different. Tina and I have some differences. Jordan and I have some differences. Um, but what I like about what he's doing is just the commitment to really breaking stories yeah. and on the ground journalism. And and so when he asked me to kind of join the fold, I uh, I said yes. And yeah, I'm glad I, think I did. That's awesome. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I like doing stuff with them. And, and for me personally, it, it kind of scratched that political itch. Mm-hmm. So I can kind of scratch the political itch there and then do other stuff like this, you know, like this series where I where I really want to dive into interviews and other interests. You know, I made a movie. I, you know, I'm, I'm make, I made a pilot. I made a short and I want to kind of get more into, you know, get more into that space. I mean, I kind of want to go into a, a more like Boots Riley direction now. Yeah. So, and that's awesome. Know. Uh, 2024, how you feeling? Man, um, existential dread would probably be (laughs) what I would use. Um, man, you know, I used to live and breathe election cycles. You know, people complain about the horse race. I loved the horse race. I'm just kind of over electoral politics. If I'm being a hundred percent honest, it's really difficult for me to, um, to talk about elections, uh, I kind of have to force myself or try to really look for like the nuggets of gold in the pile of shit. Like if there's like some funny things, like about, I did a video about the most embarrassing moments from DeSantis's campaign after he quit. I thought that was really fun just because, okay. But like really going through like I used to and going through the polls and the primary states, it, it just, it, it's so frustrating because like the longer you do this, the more you realize, um, it's not pointless, but we're not going to get the revolution through an election, right? Like, mm-hmm. we're not going to usher in an era of socialism, even if we elected Bernie Sanders. I think that that would have been great, but it's not going to be the panacea that I really, I think, maybe deluded myself into believing it it could have been. Um, well, I always, I always say this. I'm like, if Bernie Sanders was president right now, he would piss us off every day. Exactly. But, but we would be infinitely better off than we are at the moment. Right. Like, like, like as much as, and dude, Bernie's pissed me off just in general over the past oh few years, God. especially. But yeah. not a day goes by where I don't wish he was president. Yeah, no, that's true. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just exhausting, right? Um, I, I think that I don't really get enjoyment out of talking about elections anymore. 
um, I feel like there's not really anything to root for, just like to root against. You know, like, man, I hope that the most craziest fascist doesn't get elected. Oh, they did again. Okay. Um, oh, this other cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs Republican got elected, and then this corporate Democrat got elected, and then we got a progressive kind of and betterman. And it's like, uh, actually, he's very anti immigrant. Yeah, just yeah. kidding. JK. So it just it feels frustrating to me. I, I think that I've kind of shifted my focus a little bit to just really being, um, I don't want to say like issue based. But just more, less electoral politics minded. Like, I still talk about electoral politics because it's unavoidable. But, like, I like diving into, like, really niche things sometimes. Like, I really like to focus on trans issues and certain things, uh, book bans. Certain elements of, like, the so-called culture war I think are interesting to me because they're so stupid. And I think that's how you can really win over the normies by shedding light on this. I just like talking about the election itself is really frustrating to me because I feel like um, it, you know, voting is like the, I don't know, it's probably like the laziest form of political action, right? Like it's not going to be conducive to revolution or anything like that. It's just kind of like a thing, you know? So like these big presidential elections, it doesn't like excite me like it used to, if that makes sense. And I'm kind of all over the place, but you can tell like the trepidation that I'm feeling about like 2024. It's like, God, and it's a rematch probably. It's like, yeah, it just, you know, it's, it's exhausting. I just want like a, a 20 year break from elections. Like we have them every <laughs> two years. We need a fucking break. Not that I want a dictator, but like, can we just like, I don't know. We just need a fucking break, man. I can't take it. <laughs> no, I feel you. I mean, I, I do feel like, I mean, I'd be curious your take on, DeSantis, because I feel mm. like he is by far the most dangerous person in American politics right now. Like to the point where, like, honestly, dude, if somebody put a gun to my head and said him or Trump or him and Biden, I would pick Biden. I would pick Trump. Mm-hmm. That that's how dangerous I think Ron DeSantis is. I absolutely agree with you. Uh, really? Was, See, not everyone agrees with. Like, a lot of people disagree nope, with right. us on that. You know, and what's funny is all of us on leftist mafia agree on this thing as well. Oh, really? This is worse. Yeah. Wow. Um, Okay. This wasn't always my position, believe it or not. Like, I actually thought Trump was worse than DeSantis. But the more that you see the effect that he had in Florida and the way he was able to wield power in such an effective way, um, it's horrifying. And I genuinely think that he is a sociopath. Like, with Donald Trump... He's very easy to read. Like, he's scary. He's an authoritarian, but he's a narcissist. It's all about yes. him, right? Yes. There's no underlying core philosophy. Um, you know, it's it happens to be fascism, but that's just a matter of, like, that's, that's where he that's landed. that's who he surrounds himself with. Exactly. DeSantis is, like, he's a real believer, right? Like, I, I really, like, I'm not saying he's, like, the next Hitler, but he's, like, maybe a mix, a little bit of Hitler sprinkled in with some Victor Orban it's yeah. really horrifying. So the thought of like DeSantis getting close to power scares me far more than Trump. That's not to say that Trump doesn't like scare me, but the way that DeSantis is able to kind of like put normies at ease is very horrifying to me. Yes. The example that that is just shocking to me um, and, and just really it proves that liberals are very bad allies in general <laughs> but, um, is, you know, the don't say gay law. There was the one poll, I can't remember who conducted it, a, a majority of Democrats agreed with the don't say gay law. Um, and it's just shocking to me how he was able to take year, decades worth of progress and roll it back by simple, 
you know, um, repackaging of old yeah. school uh, homophobic tropes. And so I think that if you put that on a national level and give him the White House, he could really like transform this country in a very negative way. Like, I don't think that he is as immediate of a threat to democracy in the same way that Trump is. He's a threat to democracy, like in the sense that long term damage is going to be incalculable, like a Reagan figure, right, where you still learning all the things that are bad now or because of something that Reagan put in place. Right. But like with, with Trump, it's like, okay, he loses an election. He's going to dig his heels in. He's not going to, he's going to do a fucking insurrection. DeSantis is going to put steps in place to dismantle democracy, dismantle the administrative state. You know? Um, so it's, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. DeSantis horrifies me. And I hope that he killed his you know political career with this presidential run. Oh, I don't think we see the last of him. I hope I'm wrong, but I, I yeah. don't think we see the last of him. He is, I mean, I, I feel like people underestimate him, and I feel mm-hmm. like he's always a couple steps ahead. He bailed yeah. out when he did so that he still has the chance to be in Trump's good graces. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. and, and I think he knows that. I think he knows what he's doing. I mean, I would not take that guy lightly and i i don't like, like i'm yeah. I, I will scream it from the rooftops i'm like that guy is the most dangerous dude in american politics more dangerous than mitch mcconnell even oh um, absolutely i mean yeah. dude like like he's the fr- and, and by the way and there's there's some really dangerous democrats out there too obviously yeah. i mean i i think pete Buttigieg is a very very dangerous legislator because oh, yeah. he was he was pushing for some things in his appointment that were straight up fascist policies Mm-hmm. You know, like like completely privatizing our roads. And, and, mm-hmm. and let's be honest, if a Republican proposed that, people would be screaming at the top of their lungs. But it's like, oh, no, it's, 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 this, it's this young millennial and, and he's yeah. hip and gay. And so, so it must not be mm-hmm. that bad. No, it is that bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so he's very too. dangerous for that. And and so but man, DeSantis, I think yeah. is just in a different league than everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It, it's it's really sad because there's not. Like, you know, in 2016, after, you know, after Bernie lost, it's like, okay, well, you know what? We have another shot. But now it's like, now what? Who's next? I mean, if you look at Democratic Party polls, the top is always Kamala Harris and then Pete Buttigieg. Or if Michelle Obama is on, she's number one. It's like there's, you know, this is kind of just. To live is to suffer. I'll put it that way. So it's like Dude. we don't have a good bench. The left doesn't have a shot right now. So, you know, um, and it's either, you know, a psychopath who is an authoritarian and a fascist or a neoliberal uh, or genocide Joe. It just there's there's just we're fucked for the short term. Right. And possibly for the long term, depending on how quickly we act on climate change. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's really hard. Like it's it's. I struggle to not get doomer and into the doomer mentality, but I'm really trying to not because I think that that would rub off on people in my audience and I don't want them to like check out, but just like personally, it's really, really difficult to be uh, optimistic because I feel like there's not really a lot to look forward to in the country. We're kind of just like circling the drain in my opinion. So like, how do you, um, you know, what do you do with that information? You know, try to focus on the little things, the local politics progress where you can, you know what I mean? But, um, well, strikes, Bleak. protests, you know, I, I exactly. mean, those are those are sort of the glimmers of hope. Although as of the recording of this, it's, it's the same day that the UAW endorsed Joe Biden. 
<laughs> yeah, which was disrupted, by the way, by ceasefire protesters, and they were escorted. I don't know if you saw that. Oh, but... I didn't see that part. No, I did not see that part. Yeah, well, there the were ceasefire I mean, protesters. And and I like I like Sean Fain a lot. I, I think mm-hmm. he's great, and, and I think it's amazing what they've been doing. And and I totally applaud their call for a ceasefire. And I am just straight up very confused why they would endorse so early and so soon mm-hmm. and without. I mean, dude, I was talking to John Nichols about it. I said they should not endorse anyone. Mm-hmm. And, and I get it. Like, how are you going to? I mean, obviously, they can't endorse Trump. How could you even consider that? Yeah. But it's like you shouldn't endorse anyone until you get a list of concessions longer than a freaking CVS receipt. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and then once you get that, OK, go ahead and endorse if that's what you want to do as a union. You know, take the vote. Make sure the members are behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, but until then, it's like just don't don't endorse. Like, like, yeah, that's how powerful would it be if, if like the the biggest, like the the biggest face of the labor movement said we can't in good conscience endorse anybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would have been powerful. I think. No, yeah, it, w- it would have been awesome to see that, and I think that, like, for me, I mean, it's holding your endorsement for really strong, concrete concessions. I think that's just like, that's always going to be my go-to, right? That makes the most sense. Part of it, I think is, and this is a little bit cynical, is maybe influence peddling, where if you're like one of the first, it's like we were the first big union, you know, maybe that he thinks that will get him some more leverage within the administration. I I don't necessarily know, but yeah, it is, it just, I don't know, you know, seeing the New Hampshire results where, you know, you see Trump and Biden dominate and, and Biden dominate in a writing campaign, it's like, okay. You know, we all knew that this was probably going to come down to a rematch, but like it's it's going to come down to a rematch now. Right. So it's like, um, yeah, it's it's just kind of like. It's annoying to see history repeat itself, but at the same time, you know, you don't want to be too down over this because we all kind of expected this. Like maybe there's a teeny tiny little hope that like, oh, maybe there's going to be a tiny bit of a race, um, maybe like. 0.001% 0.001% chance. No, it was 0.00000, but whatever. <laughs> Unless something crazy happens between now and when this episode drops. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Which we're I recording I can't this anticipate. on January 24th, folks. January 24th is what we're recording. This when episode. does this go up? Because that will probably ha- not this week, but uh, uh, probably next week. Uh, the a week lot after can happen next. Yeah, no, a lot, a lot could happen. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, I've already w- with this new series. There's already been a few times where I'm just like, so during the recording of this <laughs> podcast, this was still the case. We know it's not the case anymore, right? But, but yeah, so so who do I might have? I might have to have one of those in the intro for this one. Who knows? That's but uh, Mike, thanks so much for doing this, man. It was so cool to talk to you. Uh, where can people go to find you? Humanist Report on YouTube. Uh, yeah, just search Humanist Report on YouTube. I'm also on every other platform. I'm even on uh, TikTok, although I haven't posted in a while. But, uh, you know, you can you can find me everywhere. I'm around. Thanks for doing this, buddy. Absolutely. My pleasure. That was Mike Figueredo. Check out his show, The Humanist Report. You know, you, you can get it everywhere. You know where to get it. Just go look for it on YouTube. Music for the 1000 Podcast is provided by Andrew Saxena. Go check out his podcast, The Baywatching Podcast, wherever you get your podcast. I said podcast a lot in that sentence. Leave us a five-star review, would you? It really helps the show out. This is still a very new show, so if you could leave a positive review, say some positive words, that really, really helps us out. If you want to support the show on the sustainability end, you can do so over 
patreon.com slash romplacone. For a give what you can level, you get the bonus podcast between Andrew and myself. You get uh, bonus stand-up footage that's not available anywhere else. I'll make you a theme song. You get my films before they're released anywhere else. It's basically an awesome online community, and you can join up for as low as a dollar a month. It's a give what you can level. Guys, uh, this will probably not be the last time I do this, but this is a very new show, and we're kind of documenting this as it goes. And I got to say, this will not be the first or last time this happens. Rest in power, Wayne Kramer. Huge loss to the music world. And Wayne Kramer was definitely on the list for 1,000. And we did have some mutual friends so I was going to, you know, try to get an intro to him to try to get him to do the show. Uh, unfortunately, that's not going to happen now. But I'm sure this will not be the last time something like that happens where somebody who was definitely on the list, uh, unfortunately, will not be able to uh, do the show because they are no longer with us. So rest in power, Wayne Kramer. Huge loss to the music world. Wayne Kramer of the MC5. If you're not familiar with the MC5, Look it up, and you're welcome. You're going to have an awesome day today kicking out the jams with the MC5. But Wayne Kramer, rest in power. Catch you all next week. Hey, guys. Ron Placone here. Take your own 1,000 challenge. No, you don't need to interview 1,000 people, although if you want to do that, go for it. Your 1,000 challenge can be whatever you want. Maybe you want to call a friend out of the blue once a week. Maybe you want to read a book every month. Maybe you want to start a different garden every season. I guess that might be dependent on where you live. Look, the point of the challenge is taking on an endeavor that enriches your life in some way, and it can be measured. And then, of course, you do it regularly. That's what 1000 is doing for me and hopefully for you, too. The main reason for this podcast and every podcast I've ever done is to build community. So take your own challenge. Then join our Facebook group. It's called 1000 What's Your Challenge? Question mark. That's 1000 What's Your Challenge? Question mark. And post about what your 1000 challenge is and the progress you're making. All I ask is that people be encouraging of each other's challenges. This is personal and vulnerable, so be cool. There's enough negativity on social media. We don't need to add to it. For those of you who aren't on Facebook, hopefully in the future we'll be expanding to places like Discord, Reddit. But for now, we're starting on Facebook. And again, that Facebook group is called 1000 What's Your Challenge. See you there.